It's time for JT the Brick. I love my job. I love the opportunity that I can come in here and talk to the Raider Nation. Talk to JT. As we are rolling on on the biggest topic in the NFL, who will be the Raiders quarterback? This is nothing to dive into and look crazy about. Have we lost our bleeping mind? Look, the elephant in the room is the majority of our audience are Raider fans, and they would like the Raiders to win now. They don't want to rebuild. They don't care about two or three years. The last 20-plus years have been hard, and they're sick of it. Excuses die. The record stands. JT the Brick. Are you kidding me? It's an absolute free-for-all with the Raiders on national radio debate shows. Everybody now is throwing blank up against the wall. No, no, no. Who are you listening to? Who's putting this in your head? But what happens next is what should this team do that's responsible, not reckless, makes sense, and could kind of thread the needle and get this team back to greatness. Are you with me on that? Put some respect on JT the Brick's name. And now. Sound off like you got a pair. Here's JT the Brick. All right, everybody, welcome back. Hour number two, Raider Nation Radio, the flagship of the Silver and Black. JT with you, at JT the Brick on Twitter and Facebook. Hour number two of the show as we jump in. A lot to get to here. A couple of guests are going to join us. Lines are open now. We should never have an open line. If you're a Raider fan, there should be something you want to talk about. And we're a national show because you can get this show globally on the Raiders mobile app. I've seen the streaming numbers. We thank you for everybody who's streaming the show. Without that streaming audience... Good luck. We got a great streaming audience here. The numbers are really cool and big. Thank you for that. If you don't have the Raiders mobile app, download it now. We appreciate you doing that. Uh, The Jets added wide receiver McCall Hardman to their team. Another sign that Aaron Rodgers is coming to the Jets. So if you look at what the Jets are trying to do now ahead of Aaron Rodgers, they believe they're going to get Aaron Rodgers. So they go get the former Kansas City wideout. He's another good player. Another good player who also joins newly signed Alan Lazard and Garrett Wilson as the Jets' top receivers. So they they have good receivers now for Aaron Rodgers. If you look at Aaron Rodgers, he's going to come to the Jets, and it's all but a lock. The Jets don't want to give up as much. The Packers are really holding the Jets now hostage, which I'm fine with. But to have uh, McCole Hardman, Garrett Wilson, and Alan Lazard that's not bad. So Aaron Rodgers isn't going to have a complaint that he doesn't have receivers there. they got a young, great receiver uh, who had his rookie year for the Jets and now two veterans coming in here, and I'm assuming that they're going to get more. So the I, I can't believe I'm sitting here on this date, uh, March 22nd, and we're still in flux with Aaron Rodgers. So for Aaron Rodgers, I don't know what's going to happen. I think I know what's happening now is the Jets are saying to the Packers, can we please do this deal? We're ready to go. Aaron, we met with Aaron. He wants to be here. You don't want him anymore. And the Packers are going, yeah, but you know something? Aaron's embarrassing us. He's embarrassing us. He's making us look like fools. So we're going to make him wait. Go tell Aaron to go to Maui and go on another yoga cleanse or go climb the Himalayas. Do something, and we'll tell you when we're ready to go. So I like what Green Bay's doing. What Green Bay's saying is Aaron believes Pat McAfee is more important than the Green Bay Packers. Uh, him going on Pat McAfee is more important than our franchise that gave Aaron Rodgers the ability to be great. So we just want to let him know we don't appreciate that, and we'll let you know when we're ready to do a deal. But I still expect Aaron Rodgers to be a Jet uh, sooner than later. Now, the other big issue is I was on a podcast this morning on Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. This is starting to get interesting because the owners' meeting's coming up. And the owners' meeting's a big topic. going to be getting rid of Daniel Snyder voting on the huge raise that uh, that the commission is going to get Roger Goodell. 
And then they're also going to close the door in the owners' meeting, and everyone's going to look around at Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, and go, you're the guy that gave Deshaun Watson $240 million? Really? You're the guy who did that? Now all of a sudden we have to take the heat. Every owner, some of them, a few of them are going to say, well, I want Lamar Jackson, but I don't want to give him $240 million. I'd like to give him $140 million, but Jimmy, you sitting over there in the corner, you screwed it up for all of us. So now we're hearing racial tones from fans, not from this show. Like how come? How come this quarterback is not getting offers the way other quarterbacks are getting offers? I don't play that game. I think this has nothing to do with collusion and race. But fans are starting to say that. What do I? I was asked on this podcast today. What do I think the fair market is for Lamar Jackson? And I said two hundred million guaranteed. And my buddy said back to me, "Well, wait, wait a second. I thought you were saying two hundred and forty million is ridiculous." I said, well, it's ridiculous for Deshaun Watson because of the way he had lewd and crude behavior and what was going on with his life and the fact that he got rewarded for that lewd and crude behavior with women, women masseuses. I don't think that he deserved that. But I know that Justin Herbert and I know that Patrick Mahomes are going to get $300 million and probably $250 million of it's going to be guaranteed. So why wouldn't you give Lamar Jackson that now? So anybody who lowballs Lamar Jackson and say offers him 140 million guaranteed, which is a lot of money, all Baltimore is going to do is say, "Okay, we'll tag that number and we'll bring him back here." But then Lamar Jackson is going to come back to Baltimore really upset because he was lowballed by another team. Baltimore matched it, and he's going to be playing for less in Baltimore. This is an ugly situation, everybody. It's a very ugly situation with Lamar Jackson here because he deserves to get as much money as some of the other quarterbacks. Now, as I told you about Justin Herbert, I think he's a generational talent. He made the best throw I've ever seen at Allegiant Stadium by anybody. Uh, he blew a 27 to nothing lead, which is shocking to me. I want the Chargers to lose every game they ever play. I want them to go 0-17, but Justin Herbert is next level. And so is Patrick Mahomes, who's feasted against the Raiders in Oakland and Las Vegas. Those two quarterbacks are going to get new contracts, are going to reset the market. And Lamar Jackson wants to make sure that his money is close to theirs as they come due with new contracts coming up here. So Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson are still the two biggest names in the NFL that are looking for new homes. We're assuming that Aaron Rodgers is going to be with the Jets. And I said on this podcast today that Lamar Jackson, I believe, will be a Dolphin. I think the Miami Dolphins, Stephen Ross, and they don't have the draft equity that they should, but I think they're going to move off of Tua and try to get Lamar Jackson if they can. We'll see if I'm right or wrong on that. Uh, other NFL topics, the Raiders are in Columbus, Ohio. I just talked to Q about it. Uh, Q's very up-to-date on that and how many of them are out there. Raiders have the head coach, the GM, a couple of members of the staff. Seems like Carolina, Q said, brought out 14 people to look at C.J. Stroud. Plus, there's a, about 14 other players that are working out. So the Raiders clearly have their eyes on Ohio State Pro Day. Remember, they got Thayer Mumford last year in the seventh round. All right, that's a, a player that they want to develop potentially at right tackle. Uh, Raiders signed cornerback David Long from the Rams today on a one-year deal. Some of the tape looks pretty good on him. It does. He's a guy that can close, knock down passes. He's got speed. He can do certain things here. But then why only a one-year deal? Because the Raiders are going to evaluate him in the one year. He might not even make the team. Right? If the Raiders go out there and get a corner in the draft or two, and they're better than him, okay. 
Or maybe this guy is put in there as a slot corner, as Nate Hobbs goes out on the edge. Whatever's going to happen here, the Raiders are adding players here in the secondary. A lot of them just look like guys. You know, Roderick Teamer, Marcus Epps is going to start. Uh, Brandon Faison comes back. Uh, David Long earlier today. So they're bringing in players that they believe are going to compete uh, for starting positions or backup positions, and all of them seem to be able to play special teams including this guy, Cam Sims, who comes in from the Washington Commanders. Oh, my God, the way this guy looks. This guy looks like Darren Waller, and he's a special teams player. So we saw Mac Hollins, who was pretty tall and athletic. Cam Sims looks like a freak. So they saw something in Cam Sims. Dave Ziegler believes that he can fit the Raiders as a wide receiver who can come in and play wide receiver if they need him to do that. Or can jump in and maybe play some special teams and take over for Hollins, who was arguably their best special teams player. So the Raiders this offseason has lost Derek Carr, Jared Stidham, Mac Hollins, Darren Waller, and now put Denzel Perryman there. So I want to get to Denzel Perryman for a second because I think he's everything that's right. Perryman came to the Raiders, wore the beanie hat, always showed up with a cup of coffee. Guy looked like Apollo Creed. When I, was at, when I saw him at practice, like, man, look at that specimen of an athlete. He was a great Raider. Played a couple of seasons for the Raiders, made a Pro Bowl, was a good ambassador in Vegas, didn't get in trouble, didn't do anything wrong. So we wish him well today. Now, I don't have anybody on hold wishing Denzel Perryman well or Mac Collins all week. Not one person called in, hey, Mac Collins, thanks, Denzel Perryman. It's like we just throw them out, like they don't mean anything. No, they mean something. They played for this team. Everybody wants to talk about Waller because they think there's a conspiracy theory. How is Waller not here? Let's talk about some of the other Raiders who are leaving and talk about the new ones coming in. So with all of this out here, there's a lot happening with the Raiders. Why are they filling all these roles and being so active over the last couple of days, bringing in multiple players here? Well, someone told me directly, we're trying to fill out this roster. This is the end of free agency. We're trying to get one more guy uh, on a discount, another guy on a discount. Bring them in. Doesn't cost you a lot. Let's see how they act. Let's see how they perform. And let's see if they can make the team. I know that certain players are going to make the team. I'm assuming Robert Spillane, the linebacker out of Pittsburgh, is going to not only make the team but start at linebacker. I'm positive that Marcus Epps, the safety of Elthy, is going to start. So those are two new additions. Are they elite guys? No, they're not elite guys, but they're guys that the Raiders believe can fit their system. Now, the unique thing about the system here, which I haven't got my head wrapped around yet, is what did, what did Brandon Faison do in this system that Patrick Graham has to have him back? What am I, what am I missing here? I saw Faison play here, saw him make a few good plays. He left, he made some good plays. Why is he here? For this system. I thought the system was supposed to get Patrick Graham smarter and more explosive players. Well, I'm assuming they broke down a lot of film on Brandon Faison and said, you know something? He's better than what we thought. He's an ascending player. While we had him here, he was smart. Let's bring him back here and give him another opportunity to compete for the position. Same thing with Jerry Tillery. He was retained. Well, we saw him play in the past. What now jumps off the tape where he needs to be here? I don't know. I think the other players were too expensive. When you're looking at inside defensive linemen, you know, a couple of guys went for $90 million, $80 million. The Raiders don't want to spend that type of money. 
So with all the players that are left unsigned, Denzel Perryman just got signed, Jayon Brown, uh, some of the other players that are still out there, Rocky Sin, the last I looked, the Raiders are now, in my opinion, they are out there discount shopping. And raise your hand if you have a partner or wife who likes to discount shop. I like it a lot better when they're discount shopping than paying retail. And the Raiders are not paying retail. Now, they're going to have to pay retail with their draft picks if they move up and get two first-rounders. And I'm starting to lean on that. I think if the Raiders take the best available player at seven and then trade up into the first round and get someone about 23, 28, somewhere in there and get another starter on defense, if the Raiders can come out of the first round with a starting corner and defensive tackle, that to me is best-case scenario. You fill two starting needs with two first-round picks. I don't care what you give up to get them. I could care less. You give up a second, a third, the third you got from Waller, whatever you got. At least I know you got two starters at training camp that aren't going to have to look over their shoulder. They're going to start. But, again, I don't know. A lot of Raider fans believe that uh, Dave Ziegler is going to trade back. He's going to move back and try to get an extra pick. So if you move back from seven, how far would you want to move back to? That's a topic that I'll be exploring over the next month. I wanted to lead off this hour because I'm a huge baseball fan with what happened with the World Baseball Classic. I can do 10 hours on this topic without a commercial. I hope we get some feedback on this because it's a sports talk show. It's not a backup Raiders defensive back show. Last night was the World Baseball Classic. It ended with Shoai Otani going up against Mike Trout. Here's how it sounded. Otani's ready. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out. Otani strikes out Trout, and Japan's back on top of the baseball world. Fox Sports 1 on the call. So when that happened, I'm live on the radio. I'm doing that live play-by-play. For those who are listening in their cars on Sirius XM, I was doing the play-by-play. Otani into the stretch, the kick, and I lost my mind. I was like, that was unbelievable. Now, why was it unbelievable? Why did that have an impact on you? It had a big impact on me. Because I grew up the son of a Little League iconic coach. I coached my sons a little bit. My sons played Little League. Maybe your kids played Little League. And we saw a player do something that I haven't seen since Little League. We saw Otani pitch, hit, run the bases. Every kid in Las Vegas who's playing travel ball, Little League, should be able to pitch, hit, catch, run the bases. And we forget about that because they all go to the pros And these shortstops become pitchers, and these pitchers become catchers, and they don't play both ways. It's just one position and you're done. And it was so magical to see Otani. What he did in the seventh inning was unbelievable, and Fox did a great job. They showed him leave the dugout with his glove and walk to the bullpen. I said, oh, my God, that looks beautiful. There's a hitter. He's in the lineup. He's batting like seventh the next inning. So he went to the bullpen with Hugh Darvish to sit there to close out the game and beat our country, the United States of America. At that moment, now I always root for America. I fly the American flag. Something crossed my mind that we were going to lose. I hope we didn't lose, but when Otani grabbed his glove and went to the bullpen, I said, that's gangster, man. That is really cool. And then Otani leaves the bullpen And comes back to the dugout to grab his bat. Beats out an infield hit. And he's out there and I'm going, oh my God, he runs fast. He throws fast. And then Mike Trout comes up there. 
to try to win the game with a home run, and you saw what happened there. He struck out two of the pitches were at 102 miles an hour. So I'd like to hear from a baseball mom or dad on the phones now, a baseball coach, and how we can change American baseball with Otani. Because more and more people are upset with Major League Baseball now because they don't like the direction of Major League Baseball. You can't run over the catcher anymore. They play with bases that look like pizza boxes. Uh, There's no more extra innings. You put a runner on second base to start an inning, right? We have a pitch clock now because we're afraid of 11-year-old boys and girls looking at their phone too much. So we have a pitch clock because we're scared that 11- and 12-year-old boys and girls won't be baseball fans when they're 30 and they're able to buy houses and cars, and the advertisers need that. So for baseball, for me, which is a passion of mine, and it should be of yours because this is America's pastime, When Otani did that last night, what did you think? What was the connection to you at 702-365-9200? For me, it was even bigger than that. And I'll give you one more take on this, and I, I don't know if you'll appreciate it, but this is how it hit me. We lost again as Americans. We are not number one in the world in America. The number one sport in the world is soccer, and we suck at it. Our men suck at it. Our women are great. Our women win the World Cup. They're unbelievable. I'm just talking about this for men. Okay, Major League Baseball with the men. So we suck in soccer, and it's the biggest sport in the world. It's bigger than the NFL, MLB, and the NBA combined. And we, we don't pay attention to that because we're not any good at it. And the rest of the world looks at us in the Middle East and in the Pacific Rim and in Russia and all around the world in South America. Going, What's the problem, United States? You can't compete with us? So you just ignore us, and we ignore soccer. We have the MLS, and we, we completely ignore it. Then we go to the World Cup, and we wonder why we can't compete. But baseball, we're supposed to be owners of that sport. That's our sport, the American pastime. Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, Pete Rose, my friend. And we just got beat last night on the global stage by Japan, a much smaller country, much smaller than ours, and they beat us toe-to-toe. And we're not good losers. In the Olympics, if we get a silver or bronze medal, we don't invite those people to come on the Today Show. They're almost like losers. You didn't win the gold. You're not Michael Phelps. We're not going to have you on the Today Show. Well, last night we got a silver medal. And I was proud of our country last night because our American team got the silver medal and they realized that they only lost one inning. They lost the ninth inning. They were great in the whole tournament. They lost to a better team in Japan. And they didn't pump their chest and throw their medals down and run into the dugout and say, we lost. I thought American baseball players last night showed a lot of grace and dignity in the loss. I really did. And then what jumped out at me was when Japan won and they got their gold medals, they walked in front of the American dugout and bowed in respect. I said, man, that's sportsmanship. Isn't that great sportsmanship? We have Little League moms and dads in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, they get into fights. Moms and dads fight at club ball tournament. I've seen it. This is club ball. No sportsmanship at all. What I saw last night was beautiful on every level. We got beat. We can actually say and debate today that we are not the greatest in the world. Japan is. They deserve that title. And another angle I see on that, which is the big one I'll save for last, is we are so intimidated now in professional sports about injuries that our best, best, best players, other than Trout and Mookie Betts, and a handful of them, wouldn't even play for their country. What a shame. 
USA across their chest, and Aaron Judge couldn't find time to go play? Really? What would have happened if the lineup was Mookie Betts, Aaron Judge, and Mike Trout? Well, Judge might have hit a home run in the seventh, three-run homer, and we win the World Baseball Classic. But we're afraid of Judge getting hurt, so we don't play. We're afraid of playing our football players in the preseason. They all get hurt in the regular season. All of them get hurt in the regular season. We're going to hold Darren Waller out of the preseason, and he misses the majority of the season. Right? Or whatever happens here. So I think our our minds got to change, just like the Little Leaguers. Do we hold a Little Leaguer out of a Little League game because he might get hurt? No. It's insane. But we, we hold out professional baseball players and NBA players because we're afraid they're going to get hurt. Last night, Shohei Otani is the most valuable baseball player on the planet. He ran the bases hard. He threw at 102 miles an hour, and he stepped in the batter's box, and he did it. How dare anybody complain the rest of their life that they can't play and they're a professional athlete? I thought the best part about last night is Otani told every prima donna from Kawhi Leonard to Paul George to anyone in every sport, no, you can, go, you can go load manage. You don't want to play Warriors back-to-back? Go load manage. I'm going to go play in the World Baseball Classic, and I probably am going to get a $500 million contract. And what happens if Otani rounds second and blows out his ACL? Well, that's the risk. But he wasn't scared. And Japan beat us last night. They were the better team. I'd like to get your reaction on the WBC if you're a baseball fan here. Open your mind to a bigger topic. A bigger topic than a backup cornerback. This is big stuff here with the WBC. I know we got a lot of baseball fans who are out there. Chris in Long Island. Chris, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. What's happening? Hey, JT. I, I love your uh, coverage on the Raiders. Uh, you know, I'm out in New York, so I'm kind of an oddball Raider fan. But um, lifelong Raider fan, um, 53, so mm-hmm. you, know, you can do the math on yep. that. Um, I, am, I was disappointed, too, with this past season, but I, I'm not – I'm not one of the Raider fans that is down on McDaniels and Ziegler. I'm really, I'm optimistic um, about what they're doing. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, a lot of Raider fans are like, oh, you got to get rid of them. That's what the old Raiders used to do. We need stability. And I really believe in these guys that they can, they can help this franchise. And um, Garoppolo, look, he may not be better than Carr. He gets injured, but he's a he's a better fit. So it's worth taking a shot with that contract. So anyway, I just wanted to say I really like your coverage, and I, I believe in what they're doing, and I'm hopeful. Well, you know, you hold on a second. You mean a lot. You're in New York, a 53-year-old Raider fan, and you understand what they're trying to do. We're not saying they're getting it right. Six wins isn't getting it right, but if you can see no. some type of a formula that you like – as they're trying to get it back to a consistent level and hopefully win consistently, that's part of the process here. I mean, that's what they're telling you they're doing. You can understand that. So I'm just telling you, I don't know if it's going to work. I have no idea. But as a Raider, as a Raider <laughs> fan, you should want it to work, right? Oh, man, I, I, look, I'm optimistic. These guys are smart. They've done it before. And, uh, look, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But there's no point in dogging them the whole time. I mean, oh. it, it may work out. Yeah, appreciate the call, man. That's what I've been saying. But look, you know, if I say, "Hey, man, hopefully, hopefully this team wins and this team plays hard and they find some good players," I'm a paid mouthpiece for the team. 
Okay, I'll go resign and not be a paid mouthpiece for the team and wish him to go 0-17. I mean, the caller gets it right there. They're trying to figure this out. It hasn't worked out perfectly. We'll see what happens coming up here, but they are in their spot right now. I believe the next 30 days is the most important time for this new regime. They have got to come out of the draft with an A rating. Okay, I don't know who the players are. I don't know if they're going to go corner, D-tackle, D-tackle, corner. I have no idea what they're going to do. No idea. Nor do I want to. I don't want I don't care. Whatever they're going to do, they're going to do. But everybody who looks at this, from Bucky Brooks to Daniel Jeremiah to Mel Kuyper, they all have different opinions. We're going to know. We're going to know pretty quickly here by the end of April if the Raiders did a really good job in the draft or not. And there'll be some critical fans who don't like the position, didn't like the fact that Dave traded up or traded back, and we're used to that. But they got to go big here. We all know that. It's year two. It's Dave's first draft because he didn't have a first and second for Devontae, which I was fine with. Uh, They drafted Dylan Parham, who looked to be a good third-round pick, and he's going to be probably starting on this offensive line. Now let's see what they can do with some fresh powder, as we like to say, and some really good picks. 702-365-9200. I'm shut out after that Marconi-winning rant on WBC, huh, Bobby? Not, not, apparently not one club ball coach in town called in on that WBC Otani rant. Okay, I'll come back and do another 20 minutes. I'm excited. Oh, and VGK won. Oh, I got Golden Knights talk coming up. And Roxy Bernstein. 702-365-9200. As we are brought to you by Meetup Vegas. My wife says, you got to start cooking this food. It's in the garage freezer. How much meat do you have in this garage? I say, hey, the boys are coming home. They can practice on the grill. MeetupVegas.com. Put in JT Brick at, at the checkout, and you'll get the meat hookup, and you'll love the steaks, the chicken, everything. You'll love it. Man, it feels great. Um, I've been smiling since I got here. You know, I got in late last night and, um, you know, just thinking about it and how it all kind of comes back around. And, um, you know, it's nothing but God. You know, I thank him every single day. Uh, I've been thanking him, thanking him through this process and, you know, just trying to keep a one-track mind, just trying to keep myself, you know, working out and just um, staying focused and letting, letting it play out how it plays out. I think it played out pretty well, though. So I'm glad to be back. Brandon Faison, JT, back with you as the Raiders are filling roster needs. And we'll see what they do as they're out there now. This is the wheelhouse for Dave Ziegler and his staff, his scouts, as they're out on the road for pro days. Uh, Pro days are very interesting because that's when you really get a chance to see someone in their comfortable environment, their pro day at their home facility, on their home practice field, throwing to their players, running drills with their coaches and all of that. But the opportunity to see them, talk to them, get an opportunity of who that player is could make all the difference in the world here. And that's what we've been talking about. Uh, Roxy Bernstein will join us in a few moments. Stick around for that on March Madness. The Sweet 16 is here in town. Again, I think a lot of people are coming in because we have our regional here. We have the Sweet 16 at T-Mobile. Congratulations all day with Lon Kruger, Paul Gutierrez. We've been thanking everyone behind the scenes. As Lon Kruger said it perfectly, too many names to mention, uh, too many people behind the scenes. They know who they are. 
for doing a great job getting this event here. I mean, come on. The fact that this is happening here is pretty spectacular. We got an opinion on the WBC, the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Vegas is a big baseball town. Bryce Harper, Chris Bryant, all the great baseball players. Greg Maddox lives here. What did you see that worked well in the WBC that could help out Major League Baseball? I am not a fan of the Oakland A's, period. Not because I love the history of the A's. Love it. How could you not like the late, great Sal Bando, my friend Reggie Jackson, Ricky Henderson, okay, Raleigh Fingers, who's in Vegas all the time. He's great friends with Mark Davis, by the way. I don't think the A's deserve Vegas because they blocked the Raiders and did some shenanigans up there. Could I forgive them? No one cares what I think. Who cares? If they come here, great. You have baseball here in this town. I'm fine with it. Uh, But I'll go watch the Yankees. I'll go watch my Yankees. I'm not sitting in an A's game on a Tuesday night. I don't care if it's at the Rio or if it's anywhere else. Go ahead with that. But uh, Raider Nation, and, and also Oakland doesn't want to lose the A's, but Libby Shaft is a terrible, terrible sports mayor, and she doesn't care about sports in Oakland anymore, and maybe the A's come here. I'll be sitting in the front row, totally hooked up for the Yankees in a Yankee jersey a couple times a year. That's how that's going to play out. Here's David in Las Vegas on 920, our flagship. Hello, David. Hey, JT. So you got a uh, former club baseball coach here. Yes, My friend's in his 30s now, but he played, he played in town. And um, I loved that game last night. I, I didn't watch a lot of it. I watched all of the game, but I didn't watch a lot of the, of the whole series. But I watched the Mexico and Japan game, which was awesome. And that game last night, it was all about that that matchup between Trout and Chohani, that that's what it was about for me, and the fact that it was the Americans playing the Japanese, it was it was just a great game all the way around. I was I was glued to the to mm. the set, and I haven't been watching baseball that much the last few years, and I think this will bring me around to watch baseball. I have a grandson now that does jujitsu. We're in Las Vegas. He does jujitsu and he does flag football. Mm-hmm. He didn't even play baseball because I was burnt out on baseball. But you know what? It brought something back into me last night, and I'm thinking, hey, you know, maybe he's not going to play baseball, but I, I'll watch more of it. But now. wait a second, you know Dave. Wait a second, David. Why did you need Otani and the WBC in Japan and Mexico to pull you back to Major League Baseball? Well, I was an Angels fan and a Dodgers fan, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing was, it was just compelling. Like, baseball has taken the story out of the game. They don't seem to let the players do some of the things. When Harper came up, and I knew Harper, you know, being being in Vegas and my son playing club ball with his brother. Um, So I understand that. They they don't let these kids. And Harper said something about it years ago. He said, let us be individuals. Let us us show our personality. And baseball kind of stifles that. They they take that away at Major League Baseball. So I just stopped. I just stopped watching it as much. I watched the end. I watched the playoffs. I watch the World Series, but I don't. I don't follow it throughout the year like I do football. Like I, I listen to your show every day. I, I love the football um, aspect of your show. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, that's why I'm a fan. But baseball, I just got burned out on it because they don't let them be who they would really want to be. They, I, I believe they stifle that in them. And in this in this series, there was a there was a story. It was Otani, and it was Trout. And are they going to get? to play against each other. Is Otani going to pitch to Trout? He went back and forth to the bullpen like three times. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? He ran wasn't back it? to the dugout, and, 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 he, and he took his, his last at bat. I mean, that was amazing. That was amazing. You don't get that. We need to get stuff. We need to have personalities. We need to have stories. We need to be vested in the players. 
That's what we need to do. And if we can do that and they can let them be the characters they are, not in the, in the, in, 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 you know, I mean that in, in the most positive way, let them, let them show their personality. I think you'll get people coming back to watch baseball. Cause I have a lot of friends mm-hmm. that don't watch baseball like they used to. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Excellent phone call. Appreciate that. That's all I was looking for today. I just put out the tweet, Bobby. The level of sarcasm with me today is at an all-time high. Here's the tweet. I got a baseball caller on an NFL flagship radio station. Alert the media. My day is now complete. So I'm going to walk out of here feeling complete that we are not talking about backup cornerbacks in March with an an NCAA regional right down the street. Literally. Literally. Okay? So please... Sports talk show. We talk sports, not just backup cornerbacks. We talk sports here. So the, the dripping with sarcasm today. <laughs> Roxy Bernstein, kind enough to join us and uh, thrilled that he could come on the show here as we get rolling. We're queuing him up here in a moment. So Roxy Bernstein will join us here in a few moments. We're just trying to get the line right as we continue here on the flagship station. And Roxy now joins us. Here we go. And Rox, a lot to get to with you, man. You're one of the best play-by-play voices out there. And I've been talking about underachieving teams all week. Kentucky, what are the goals of North Carolina, Duke going forward? Is there another team that you think is underachieved so far getting to the Sweet 16? Well, you ha- for me, you have to start with Arizona right? and Purdue. I mean, those are the two huge favorites in the, in the first weekend that went down. A two-seed losing to Princeton, and Princeton magically to the Sweet 16. And then Purdue losing as a one seed just the second time ever. So for me, those are the two biggest disappointments that we've seen so far in the tournament. And, Roxy, I've been talking about expectations coming in. I think Arizona's expectations is Final Four. Purdue this year, a national championship. But some teams don't have that expectation. You mentioned Princeton. They want to get in the tournament. They want to get through the Ivy and get to the tournament. I mean, ultimate goal for them is the Sweet 16, and now they're there. So do you think going around the country with the portal now and everyone transferring and players being able to move from conference to conference that expectations are no longer what they were? They're kind of shorter expectations because there's so much player movement. And I think also, JT, we've seen that the margin, even though it's a 15 against a two, it isn't as wide a gap as it used to be. And Princeton played with a lot of confidence. And to go in and beat Arizona like they did, no, I thought Arizona got tight, and it was a very un-Arizona-like performance. But as the game went on, you could see Princeton gaining confidence. They were down 12 in the second half, and it didn't phase them. And then they were the better team against Missouri in the second round to get to the Sweet 16. And they're going to go into the next round in Louisville on Friday and be as confident as ever because of what they've accomplished so far. And the pressure's not on them, you know, which you were alluding to. The pressure's on who's ever playing the 15-digit seed in Princeton. Mm -hmm. So I think they're going to go in there and just play bigger than be loose and free. They're going to play the way they play, that style. They're going to make you defend. It's not always fun to play against them. But I just think this day and age, JT, in college basketball, the margin isn't as wide as it used to be between the mid-major and those high major teams, even though it's a 14 and, and against a three or whatever the seating happens to be in the first round. Yeah, that's nicely said. That's a really good way to kind of wrap that up and what we're going to see. But the only thing, the only pushback I'll give you on this, is this a trend 
Or is this something that's going to last for a long period of time? College basketball changes a lot. We're not going to see a lot of teams stay together with four-year seniors, but the one-and-done thing kind of seems like it's slowing down a bit. So what do you expect? Do you think this is something that's going to be with a short-term or long-term? I think we're still in this evolving landscape, JT, because yeah. of the new rules in college basketball right now with nil and the transfer portal where you're allowed one-time transfer for free and if a player's not happy at one place boom he's at some place the next season or he might drop down a perceived level go from a high major to a mid-major and i just think there's so many uncertainties and unknowns in college basketball and it has to start with nil and because that right now is when recruits are getting talked to by schools that's the first thing recruits want to know. It's not about an education. It's not about, hey, how are you going to get me to the NBA? It's about what are you going to give me? What am I going to get if I come to school there? Roxy Bernstein, the great play-by-play voice, joins us. So, Roxy, I really want to dive in with you with UCLA and Gonzaga now. It's a heavyweight fight here in Las Vegas. You've called a lot of games here. This, these two teams played each other last year. I was in T-Mobile for this. Both fan bases are going to travel well here. This is a big one, and I don't feel like Gonzaga has the pressure that they had on years past with Mark Few when everybody was talking about national championship. I agree with that sentiment, JT, 100%. Because the target's not on Gonzaga's back. They're a three seed this year, which is a great seed to be. But they're not the one seed. Everybody is not gunning for the Zags this year. And so I think a little bit of that pressure is off. And the other thing for Gonzaga is they're starting to click at the right time. That it wasn't the smoothest ride through the regular season this year for them. But they got hot toward the end of the year. And they blitzed St. Mary's in the championship of the WCC there in Vegas at the Orleans Arena. And they're playing some great basketball right now. And Drew Timmy is a player that's certainly been there before. They can draw on the experience, but so can UCLA. And the thing that that Mick Cronin really has going for him, two outstanding leaders that all they care about is winning. Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez, they don't care about their personal stats. Tiger Campbell didn't make a field goal against Northwestern, but he still had a huge impact in the game to get UCLA to the Sweet 16. And that's what's going to make this, I think, a great matchup is two experienced teams that buy into their programs, what they're all about. And I think we're headed toward another classic between these two teams on Thursday. Wrapping up with Roxy Bernstein, I like Musselman. We probably go back together as long as I know him and you know him with his days as the Warriors head coach. And now he moves around to Nevada, Arkansas. Just seems like he brings that he's a, he's the a, uh, son of a coach. He plugs in really well with his players, and he's a great recruiter. And I thought he did a better job X's and O's coaching against Kansas there, even though there was no Bill Self. So what do you like about Arkansas in this spot here? Because they're an underdog here in that side of the bracket here. After getting through Kansas, they're in a pretty tough spot here. They get UConn. We've been talking a lot about them before they take on the winner if they get by of UCLA Gonzaga. Well, first off, UConn to me – JT was, was the best team I've seen in person this wow. year. Now, it was back in really? November, but they're playing great right now again. They handled Alabama. Now, this was the, the you know, Phil Knight Invitational back around Thanksgiving, and it was a little bumpy road for Danny Hurley's team after that, but they're starting to put it back together again. And with Arkansas, it's, Muss is just bringing in the talent. Right When you look at the bodies that he's able to, to bring in year in, year out, and recruit, and 
the way he's starting to litter the NBA now with those people that I think that there is a formula that Eric Musselman has adopted now. And when you look at, they're going to have potentially have two players in the top 10 in the draft upcoming. I feel pretty good about any matchup I got considering the talent I have on the floor. So if you look at the matchups coming up this weekend, we're going to have some great basketball, I think, played. In, in every region, there's something attractive to watch in every matchup for me. And you think Tom Izzo has an advantage, even though he's a seven going up against a three, just the calmness of being there before Madison Square Garden, a lot more experience to come in with his team. He rides them hard. He's breaking whiteboards. He's getting emotional with the refs here. <laughs> I'm not going to say this is it for Izzo, but this is a big spot for him on a global stage at the Mecca. It is, and it's interesting, JT, because if you look at Michigan State this year, it's not your typical Tom Izzo team. This isn't like the grinded-out physical brand. Now, they do play physical, but not like some of the teams we've seen in the past. And But the difference is this team shoots the ball really well. They shoot about 40% from three, which is an un-Michigan State-like team, really. It's more about defense and toughness and rebounding. It's a different type of team that Tom Izzo has, and he's still coaching them this way, even though the makeup is different. And you look at the way that that region, the East, is set up, right? If they can get past Kansas State coming up, you have FAU and Tennessee on the other side. You could be looking at Izzo going back to the Final Four, and this might be one of the more unlikely Michigan State runs to the Final Four if they get there. Roxy, last one. You've been doing this for a while. I've never asked you this question about gambling. Broadcasters stay away from it, but you hear a play-by-play call on the TCU backdoor cover, and the broadcaster says, well, it might have affected some. And we've heard that with Al Michaels and the great Brett Musburger, who we both know. When you're calling a game, is there a statistician or a producer in your ear, even though you don't have to say it, nor you might not want to, where now as you're evolving and still young as a play-by-play voice, you know the spread on these games? occasionally I pay attention to it, but in all honesty, not all the time. And it, yeah. it, sometimes it happens. I think I've dropped that Al Michaels same line. That was a, you know, that play was big for some. Uh, but for the most part, I haven't really grasped it in terms of paying attention to it on a game-in, game-out basis. Certain games maybe, or I might be just inquisitive, JT, okay, what's the line, and we might take a guess, and then we'd see what Vegas actually has in that game, and a lot of times we're pretty close. But it's something that from time to time I do pay attention to, but now it's become more fashionable, I guess, because it's more readily available for everybody to take a look at. And it's look, if you check the app on your phone just trying to check scores, the spread is right there on it. So I just think it's more readily available these days, and that's why people are paying more attention to it. Yeah, I think the consumer and the listener and the viewer is paying attention to it a lot more. Rocks, always appreciate your time. Good to talk to you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Anytime, brother. Take care, JT. Thank you, Roxy. Roxy Bernstein, nice to get him on. With the tournament here we had on Lon Kruger and Paul Gutierrez, wrote a really good column today about the history of Jerry Tarkanian, the running Rebels, and how incredible it is that we have a regional here. Really good show today with all that content here as the Sweet 16 is upon us tomorrow. G-Money in Vegas, you're up next. Thanks for holding. Go ahead. Hey, I love Roxy, man. That guy's awesome. The uh, Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't agree with you more. I mean, you can't have any more excitement in Vegas. I mean, watching the uh, – 
watching the the college basketball, watching Izzo. I haven't seen this team play like this all year. He's like he's like going crazy, breaking clipboards, looking like he's gonna blow a gasket. <laughs> I mean, I love it, man. I mean, in in the in the A's, don't be negative, JT. They're coming to Vegas just like the Raiders do. Same way, same same station, same place. Yeah, I, I, you know, I got to get over that. I know I got to get over that. I just, I, I don't like what I know about that deal in Oakland and what a lot of other people don't know. So that's, that's not, that's not a good place for me today here again. I don't want, I don't want the A's to come in here behind what the Raiders did in this town, considering what the Raiders had to do to get here and what they did, and what the A's ownership hasn't done in Oakland and and continues not to do in Oakland. Screwing over the fans up there, so I got—I don't have a good place in my heart for that move, but everything can change. Hey, when we come back, one more nugget on the most violent NFL game ever played. I have some fresh information for you. You don't want to miss it. Carlson from the corner. Petrangelo toward the goal. They score. Dorothea the tip at the right side of the crease. Vegas now on top, 4 to 2. 2.41 to go, second period. Another great VGK edition along with Barbashev. How about Vegas? Number one seed out west. This is going to be great. So, quickly, quick story. The most violent NFL game ever played, November 84. Raiders lose to the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field, 17 to 6. The most violent game ever played. Okay, so you look at Buddy Ryan's defense, everything that happened there. So Tom Hum is David Hum's brother. Tom is an iconic radio guy in town. He's one of our sales reps, great friend of mine. And David was his younger brother. And our whole media room at the stadium is named the David Hum Media Booth for David. If you don't know David, please Google him. I was a co-host with him for six years when I started on Raiders Radio. So I talked to Tom in the hallway about an hour ago, I go, Tom, tell me a story from the most violent game ever played. Tom goes, I'm watching the game with my two sons. His brother gets knocked out of the game twice, David Hum. Tom tells me it's the last game David ever played. After that game, he needed two full knee surgeries. He went blind in his right eye and needed full dental surgery because his jaw was broken. I never knew that story, and I knew David well. I knew David got beat up, and he got taken out on a stretcher in that game. And the story is Tom Flores looked at Ray Guy and said, you're next, and Ray Guy's like, whoa, no, what, what, no. And Mark Wilson broke his thumb, and all the players that got hurt, Jim McMahon got knocked out for the year. So just Google the most violent game ever played, and that game comes up. And I asked Tom, I go, that was David's last ever game? And he shared with me how hard it was for David to tell their dad that he was going to retire after that game and how much his body broke down after that game from an NFL game. I mean, incredible story. Imagine David Hum, the legend of this town, two knee surgeries after that game, full facial jaw broken, dental surgery. He's sitting in the dental surgery, and a little girl says, what happened to him? And they said the Bears got to him. And she said, at the zoo? He goes, no, the Chicago Bears. That is a story I'll never forget. Rest in peace, David Hum. What a great legend he is in Vegas history. From Bishop Gorman to Nebraska to the Super Bowls with the silver and black. Good show today, Bobby. Thread the needle once again. Best producer in sports radio. I'm out of here. March Madness tomorrow.